Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. We have a great show planned for you today. A heat check for all second-year coaches in the SEC, and we will be joined by one of those coaches. Shane Beamer, the South Carolina head football coach, will join us today. But I suppose for those of you watching the product on the YouTubes, click the buttons and share and do all that great stuff as we normally ask you to. We are sitting in the same room today in a very special place. Aaron, tell everybody about where we are right now. sitting in the same room as we've ever been in. No. I mean, I've been in this room before. You have been. You've been in this room many times before, but never doing a show together. So again, tell everybody about where we are and what this place, this magical, fantastic place is that we're sitting. What? Where are we? This place is the reason I do not have a life anymore. I do have more of a life maybe than Braden, but not as much as I used to. Goes without saying. Yeah. Um, we're at the Cast Collective on Music Row. This is my like child, this project is. It's a podcasting studio, rentable podcasting studios in here, photo and video services and studios, event venue, uh, and we'll be doing our show from here. Possibly, maybe, potentially in the future. Stay tuned. Upgrades are coming, apparently. Subscribe uh, if, to YouTube. Let's work on the pitch here. If someone wants to book your space and mm-hmm. they're in Nashville and they'd like to, I don't know, come into town with a group of friends and maybe book a special event space, where should they go? They can go to, well... Besides Jasper's, of course. The, in probably tomorrow, they can go to our website. Um, <laughs> probably. <laughs> that's up and that's our that's been a big project this week. But um, right now, you can uh, Instagram DM us cast underscore collective. It's a good way to get to us. Um, yeah, or you can call our office phone. What? Yeah. Can you put it on the screen for the good people? Let's sure. Put, let's put it on the screen. Uh, Puff, Puff Daddy, P Daddy Junior dot com combs. Dot com combs. It's 615-712-7097 is the You don't have a number. QR code yet? That's what we need is a QR code. No, we don't. Yes, we do. We need a QR okay, code. Well, Everyone has to have it. a QR code. Uh, all right. So on the show today, we are going to dive into Brian Harson. What is going on with the Auburn Tigers entering year number two? Your guess is as good as ours. Uh, we're going to talk Tennessee and Josh Heupel. Expectations very different for that team this year. We'll talk Clark Lee and Vanderbilt. Some news this week that they got some stadium renovations coming. I've got a couple of questions about Clark Lee and the experiment that's taking place on West End here in Nashville. So we'll dive into that. Yep. And of course, we'll talk about Shane Beamer, but not until after we talked to Shane Beamer. We had that's a chance. Right. We had a chance to catch up with the South Carolina head football coach. Year number two should be a lot of fun. So uh, let's dive into it. Um, before we do. Fringe Element is brought to you by the wonderful and amazing folks at Jasper's. Just a rock's throw and a couple skips from anywhere on West End. Um, you can get there by plane, train, automobile. Um, Not public transportation. We don't have that in there. Yeah, we don't have that. If we did, you could get to Jasper's on it. Um, it's great. All across the Southeast. Oh, keep going. Um, today's producer, Camille, who's new, she goes to Belmont. Braden met her today, yesterday, day before. A couple weeks ago, but whatever, it's fine. She is from (laughs) a location that has Four Top Hospitality, which is what, Camille? Huntsville, Alabama. Huntsville, Huntsville, Alabama. We'll get a Four Top Hospitality. I think Amerigo is going in Huntsville, Alabama. They're building one right now. They've got 13 locations across the southeast. They've got Char, etc., Etch, Saltine, Jaspers, and Amerigo. They're in Ridgewood, Mississippi, Flowood, Mississippi. They're in Jackson, Mississippi. They're in Birmingham, Huntsville, Memphis, Nashville, of course, you name it, they've got you covered. Check out one of their great locations across the Southeast, and we do appreciate them sponsoring and providing and promoting the show, so you guys should go out there and promote and and, and go to Jasper's and go to Four Top Hospitality. Sound good? Yep. Okay. 
All right, let's start with the Auburn Tigers because, of course, it's the Auburn Tigers. Brian Harson, year number two. Again, this is a heat check for the four coaches in year number two as they enter the summer. Where are they today versus where they were last year? Where are the programs? Where are the fans? We're going to spend some time with Auburn, Tennessee. Obviously, we'll talk with Shane Beamer a little bit later on, of course, and Vanderbilt, which I think uh, there's a couple of big questions for each one of these teams, Aaron, that I yep. think we're going to try to answer for you guys today as we enter SEC Media Days month is like a, a month away or so. Uh, Brian Harson six and seven, three and five. They lost five straight to end the season. I think that's a little deceiving because they had a four point loss on the road against South Carolina. They were in overtime against Alabama. And if they just make like one play, they beat Alabama, the team that played in the national title game and won the SEC. Uh, and of course, um, they lost in the, to Houston in the bowl game, 17, 13. So one score losses in three of those. They also beat LSU on the road for the first time in forever. They beat Arkansas on the road, which is pretty good. They beat Ole Miss pretty handily defensively. And Ole Miss was a team last year that had the best regular season in the history of, of Ole Miss football. So I, I think on the How surface... How late in the season did Ole Miss I, and Auburn play? I, I, you've got the magazine there, the Handy Dandy Athlon Sports. I want to say it was like two, th two thirds of the way through the season is I believe where it was. Were we missing any crucial players on Ole Miss side? No, I don't. They came out and shut them down on defense, I think. And so... What I think is interesting is I think there's an outward per, you know, view of Auburn as like this completely chaotic dumpster fire. The boosters are in control and nobody really knows what's going on. But like they actually were pretty close to being like a nine win team. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask you. It's Well, since you say that, I was going to ask you how many games does he need to survive? Does Brian Harson need? Yeah. My, I was going to say nine. And I think that could there could be a couple years or one more year of it being lower than that with fans being okay but I don't think because he's not really willing to meddle with boosters and in, in that same sense I think it's going to take him more wins earlier to at least have an easier chance of staying around what I do mean, you think so I don't know what the number is I think that's the question we're going to try to answer today is how many games does he have to win to keep his job I, I would argue they need to do something spectacular nine or ten wins and prove that like all this other stuff that we've thought about Auburn and Brian Harson wasn't necessarily the, the relationship more than any, you know, one individual thing isn't Ten wins is a lot. Right, exactly. But Auburn does crazy shit. So I don't I don't know. I don't see oh and eight because I think there's too much talent. This is sort of getting into the roster, which is Derek Hall, Tank Bigsby, Owen Papo, like they have star power on their team. They play Mercer, San Jose State, Penn State, which could either boat race them and destroy Brian Harson, mm -hmm. or they're going to beat Penn State and, and reestablish like, oh, Auburn's going to be good this year. And then they play Missouri and LSU, all of those at home. 5-0 is not crazy to think about if you're Auburn. They got a couple more winnable games. If they just, to me, this is about Brian Harson sticking to what he does, right? Like he's got to develop a quarterback, and they got to run the football with Tank Bigsby. And if they stick to the things that he does with his guys that he handpicked to do these things, that's where I want. Like that's where Brian Harson gives him the, his himself the best chance to be good. I guess I don't know if that that makes any sense. No, I think it does. I think when you talk about those weapons, like you know Derek Hall and Tank Bigsby and those guys that have had some experience on the field, had some experience in the SEC, and are just powerhouses in and of themselves. And that combined with, I mean, he's a he's a football. I mean, it's not like he's not a football minded guy. It's just it's really it was really hard to like wrap your brain around Brian Harson because he keeps things close to the chest, and we I don't I don't really know. What what's happening and you're not wrong about the beginning of their schedule setting them up for a potential 5-0 and run it just depends on I mean yeah Penn State's really the big one and then I mean again I, I still feel kind of in the same place with LSU I know they're going to be in a yeah. better place but we just don't know how soon Brian Kelly's going to be able to turn them around I think to, for me it's a, like 
I don't think it's fair to Brian Harson what has happened. I don't think the boosters have behaved properly. I don't think Brian Harson has done everything amazingly. He's had as many offensive coordinators, three, as he has SEC wins right now, three, on his career in the, in, in, at Auburn. So, like, a lot of this is – some of this is his own doing. I think the – how bad they were last year is overblown a little bit because if you really go back and replay the season, they were a little bit closer. They have some star power. The defense is top five again probably in the SEC. So the question for me is, can he save himself, right? Mm-hmm. He's got to develop a quarterback. He's, he's promoted his coordinators from within after losing guys. It's sort of, he's sort of betting on himself on this. Yeah. And I don't even know, like, do you even believe if he believes that they're going to keep him around? Because I think anything under nine or ten wins and they're probably going to move on from him. I'm not sure. I mean, what's his buyout? Do you think he wants to? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Buyout life. It was a good life. Yeah. I, I mean, do you think he wants to stick around? I think he wants to stick around. All I'm going to say is that yeah. I, I would like to know what the – the offseason looks very different for coaches and teams that have had an extreme amount of turnover versus ones that were just able to build on those same building blocks. And that might sound very just straightforward and understood. But really, I mean, you're completely having to turn things on their head when you promote. Even if you're promoting guys from within, yep. you're still taking over roles that they've never occupied before. And you're just not able to make that same progress if they if they were great. Um, but that it does add a lot of extra work that I think sometimes is overlooked. Yeah. It, so at quarterback, I don't think they have as good a situation as, as maybe they had even last year. Yeah. Whether it's TJ Finley, I don't think Zach Calzada is some guy that is going to save the world. Like he beat A and M or he beat Bama one time. I just don't think he's an above average starting quarterback in the SEC. They got a couple of freshmen, uh, Garner and Ashford. I can't ever say the the Holden Garner's name correctly. But uh, the, the, again, point is, is he's the offensive guy. His job is to develop the quarterback. He's promoted two coordinators. This is on him now. Like he, I can blame Auburn and the boosters for being silly because they are, mm-hmm. and they act like a bunch of I don't know, like feral cats. But like, <laughs> Harson is betting on himself with his decision making process in this offseason. So I, I think the hot seat is always there at Auburn. If I had to answer your question again, I think I would go nine wins. He keeps his job. Less than that. And you lose to Bama, you don't keep your job. I think. I think most. I think half the boosters want him out already. Like right now, today. What, in do, June. do we actually know what his buyout would be? It'll be. I think it goes down at the end of the calendar year, or somewhere around the end of the regular season. So I don't have that number in front of me. I want to say it's like nineteen million. I think, and it goes down to like fourteen or something like that. I don't. Nineteen again, don't, million to not do your job that. anymore. Yeah. People have to really want you to not do your job anymore. Auburn's good at that. Yep. Auburn's very good at that. So. I don't know. It's like run the football, play good defense, develop a quarterback. That's the recipe. And Auburn could be in a lot of games yeah. with that recipe. So it's not a crazy recipe, which is the exact opposite recipe of the Tennessee volunteer offense, <laughs> yeah. which is about Josh Heupel and Hendon Hooker throwing it as much as possible. So Josh Heupel, seven and six. We'll talk Tennessee here and then Vanderbilt, and then we'll get to Shane Beamer. Uh, four and four last year. And listen, they got four offensive line starters back. They averaged almost 40 points per game. Their quarterback was one of the most efficient in the country. Um, what do you make of Josh Heupel coming into this season being under pressure? Because this summer is very different for Josh Heupel. Last year it was Tennessee fans were sort of just throwing their hands up and saying, well, whatever happens is good. Whatever, anything good that happens is a good thing. Whereas now I think people are expecting another step with the program. That's a very different place to be in as a head coach. I, I, it's Tennessee, so they want to be good. We've, I mean, we, we know how I won't throw you in this category because you're not oh. even close to the worst of them. Oh, thank, thank you. Yeah, I don't know. 
what you do with that, actually. No, I I don't even think that was a backhanded compliment. I don't even think it was a compliment. What was that? I don't think it was a compliment. It was a drive-by is what that was. Yeah. Continue. Um, So whenever you make progress, especially as SEC fans, you know, being as dedicated to the sport as they are, people are going to want to see improvement. But I do think with – there's a difference, and you can look at it with, you know, Butch Jones, it just felt like – the cards could fall at any moment. Like he's able to put together like relatively good records season wise or recruiting classes. Yes. Seasons record wise, I guess is what I'm saying. But with hypo, it actually feels like there's building blocks there. It doesn't just feel like, you know, you're at the end of the season or like those two games are falling in your favor because of a hail Mary, like Josh hypo actually feels like he built it and there's something to stand on. I think a lot of that has to do with relationships both on the field and off the field, which we know how I feel about that. I think it's the cornerstone of everything, but to me, maybe even if this season isn't outstanding for Tennessee, I still feel like we're moving in the right direction and the fan, the fans know that. I think that's true. Unless they go backwards. No, I don't have. I don't think you're wrong about any of that. I think it is. I think that's right. I think you're. You're. I don't disagree with much of what you're saying there. I think there's some bigger questions about like, are these foundational pieces they're actually putting into place? That sounds like a negative towards Josh Heupel because again, the offense. He he kind of found Hendon Hooker off the transfer portal scrap heap. He his offense is much easier to to stop or a little easier to stop in your number two than it is in your number one. They've got a lot of offensive personnel. Can they recruit with Alabama and Georgia? I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of good building blocks and foundational stuff for Tennessee. I don't know, I don't know how much of it translates to like big time success, if that makes sense. Like he's absolutely turned the program around mm-hmm. culturally, reinstalled professional adult vibes, right? <laughs> but because because Pruitt, you know, um, but I don't know if some of the things he is doing are have enough upside. To get where Tennessee fans expect, I think that makes sense. Are you talking? I think when you talk about building blocks, you're ta- you're talking a lot more about personnel and players than I am. Maybe or players. Uh, maybe I'm not really talking about that as the building blocks. I think there's other things that have to be in place first to even get those good players to stay. I mean, it's that's what Clark Lee's doing right now. Well, yeah, and just like well, they, well, and he's doing. We can see that he's doing a better job because the kids actually like playing football. Yeah. Yes. And that's and I'm. I'm and so that's what I guess I mean. I'm not just fair. talking that's about fair. the person or the players themselves. I'm talking right. about. And you can see improvements. You see, they're like you know scoring. We're scoring 17 more points a game mm-hmm. last year. Um, they're also allowing a lot of points. But we talk about <laughs> defense uh-huh. defensively building it, we talk about this a lot it's easier to kind of gradually build a defense up and that does depend on personnel yes um but they're you, not you can trick them with an over. offense you can yeah. trick them with an offense it's hard to trick sec behemoths with a defense right it's hard to do that no i agree i, I think you're right and again that's why i sort of like agree with what you're saying which is they needed an and we've said this a million times on the show they needed an adult in the room who was a professional football coach and they got one my question has always been about his upside. I think he's the, he may not be the right coach to win a championship, but he's the right coach for right now. So my question about this team going into year two, which is can they overachieve? Can they hit the marks? I think Vegas, I want to say it's like eight and a half, which you're asking. Here's my problem with this, this um, sort of like analysis and projection of Tennessee and Josh Heupel in year two. You're asking them to be perfect. You're asking the offense to carry a bad defense. And again, you want to hear bad? This is not safe for work. Uh, 101st in the nation in third down defense. Uh, 85th in the nation in giving up explosive plays on defense. 
12th in the SEC, 90th in the nation in scoring defense, 121st in red zone defense. They gave up 92% scoring rates. 50 different attempts, uh, trips into the red zone on defense. That's 89th in the country. 113th in the nation in red zone touchdowns allowed. Point is, Tennessee, not good on defense. I don't know what Tim Banks, the defensive coordinator, is going to do to fix that when now they are worse on the defensive line and worse at corner. Uh, that is my question. You're asking at the offense and Hendon Hooker to be perfect every Saturday to carry the defense, and then they're going to have to win almost all of their swing games to get to that nine-win mark, which is Pittsburgh, Florida, LSU, Kentucky, Missouri, South Carolina. I would like to know how much time they spent on defense. Do we have that number? What do you, uh, what do you mean, like time on the field? Yeah. Oh, because no idea. I, because that has, to me that has Damn. a lot to do with red zone. Like, I mean, you're, you're tired. Let's see how often. Let's see how much their defense is on the field. Well, I don't. I mean, their offense does run a bunch of f- fast plays. Yeah. So I'm just. I mean, it could. I mean, there's like a stamina involved. There's like a bunch of factors. Also, I trust Hang on, Coach keep talking. very much. Um, their schedule. If you're looking at the eight and a half thing, they've got their wins. I'm guessing that Vegas is counting Ball State, Pittsburgh, Akron, uh, Mar- UT Martin, Kentucky. I guess they counted. I, I don't know. That's the Missouri, thing. Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt. Like, it doesn't really matter. That's they, eight games. I think Vanderbilt's counted for sure. Well, thank you. The, the swing games are Pittsburgh, Florida, LSU, Kentucky, Missouri, South Carolina. And I think you have to win three or four of those to get to nine wins. And I think you're you're just you're you're again, you're asking the offense to be you're at Hendon Hooker, who was almost perfect last year. Mm-hmm. You're asking him to be perfect again. And then you've got to kind of clean sweep the games that you're supposed to maybe win that are 50-50 games. Mm-hmm. And that is my question about Josh Heupel. Because, again, if you read the anonymous scouting report in our fancy, handy-dandy Athlon Sports magazine here, if you're, if, you're, if you're watching on the YouTubes, um, quote, they're pretty easy to break down because that offense is pretty easy to break down. <laughs> Stop. That's a quote? Exact quote of an opposing coach for the Tennessee Volunteers offense. This was Drew Locke's problem coming out of Missouri. Heupel was his coordinator. And the whole knock on Drew, Drew Locke was that he didn't. He, he wasn't an evolved passer. He didn't play in a complicated enough offense, and it's why he struggled when he got to the NFL. Now, we're not playing in the NFL, and Hendon Hooker's very good. But my question is, what does Tim Banks do on the defense to make them better, and can the offense be perfect? And I have doubts about Tennessee being perfect. That just seems like a tough thing for them to do. Yeah. In I mean, general. It's a spe- Yeah. In general. Especially with, I mean, their schedule is always difficult. Although, it's been worse. I, LSU's down, quote-unquote, although Kentucky's up. Um, just see what Florida can do, but that's always road trip to South Carolina is tricky. Florida's Ish. down. Florida's down. You're getting Florida and LSU in the year that they change coaches. Yeah. So the idea is, and you're getting them early in the year, Florida in particular, and at home. If you can't beat Florida this year, Tennessee, you don't deserve to beat Florida. Like full stop. You heard it here. Full stop. Yeah. Braden's earth shattering stuff. I will say so. If we before we move on, just going back to the relationship thing, which is going to come up. I've, I've, this makes sense on this podcast because we're going to talk to Shane Beamer and that is at the core of everything that he does. Mm-hmm. And there have been a lot of guys that have talked out, players at Tennessee talked out about Hypel and just what he's been able to do. And he also is the only coach in the SEC that had the experience, that had the playing experience that is most similar to what these guys are going through right now. Um, you know, actually playing in a Division One program um, for as long as he did, was a Heisman contender. I mean, he's he's been there, so he understands what these kids emotionally are going through. Um, you know, it, being in the spotlight, I guess not as much as they are with social media now being what it is, um, but just understanding them on an emotional level and actually giving a shit. Yeah, 
So no, I, they, they like playing they for Josh love Heupel. playing yeah. for him. There's yeah. no question about that. Uh, according to this, and this is TeamRankings.com, Tennessee, 130th in time of possession. You don't really want to be 130th offense. in anything. Out of 130. Oh. So 24 minutes and 24 seconds. That's what this says. That could. Uh, this is TeamRankings.com. That was the fastest 20, I could do. Time of possession. Looking it up in four minutes and twenty two seconds. This is the fastest I could do that. Looking it up in real time. The the lowest amount of the lowest on time of possession on offense. On offense. Yep. Okay. Well, see that. Look at me. That proved that proved the point. The defense is exhausted. Please get them off the field. Well, against Ole Miss for sure, and not just Ole Miss people faking injuries in that game. By the way, there's a couple of times Josh Heupel's like, "Go down, go down." Um, I mean, if you're in, if a team is at the end of a ten minute drive and they're in the red zone, the red zone stats are going to suck because they're right. But that doesn't change the fact not, that they're. I'm not giving saying up it shouldn't be better. I get that. No, what what I mean is that, that the offense is then causing a problem. Oh, yeah, like the I whole agree. the whole philosophy is flawed <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Like if you're going to leave your defense on the field for 37 minutes a game, uh, you're going to have to rethink how you call plays on offense. Too many minutes. Yes, there you go. Give Banks a break. All right, any more Tennessee stuff? I, I think here's the key: Tennessee fans excited, happy. Moving into a year for the first time in a long time. That's okay. I think they should be. I think expecting nine or ten wins and losing only to Bama and Florida is asking too much of this program with this talent level, this coach, and this program right now. I, I said program twice. So. I think you guys are heading in the right direction. Just Who are you talking to? The Tennessee fans. You guys. Okay, sorry. Who is Tennessee this? Who are volunteers. I think you guys are heading about? in the right direction. There you go. Just give it another year of somewhat of patience, and then you can bitch next year. There you go. There you go. I can already tell if they go eight and four. Though there will be bitching. Uh, Clark Lee, two and ten, zero oh and eight. How about this? Uh, they've won one SEC game in three years. Yikes. Zero oh and nine in the pandemic year. Uh, one and seven. Their last win. Aaron Dugan. Do you know? Do you remember the date of the Vanderbilt Commodores' last win? Uh, at one point, I could spout them all off, but no. <laughs> Uh, October 19th, 2019 is the last time Vanderbilt won an SEC game. Two of those years were Derek Mason, of course. Is it South um, Carolina? Uh, Missouri ranked, a ranked Missouri uh, team, number 22 here in Nashville, right across, uh, right across, I was there. right across from, there. from the Cass Collective Studios here. They haven't the won since Nashville. I worked an SEC game since I was employed there. Probably not. It's not great. <laughs> Things haven't gone well for Vanderbilt since you left. <laughs> There's a positive correlation between <laughs> you guys losing games and me not working there. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. So to, to me, like, I went out to spring practice a few times. I looked at the roster. They've got to make a, a quarterback decision. Either Mike Wright or Ken Seals. They've got to decide that. Wright's a little bit more of the leader guy, a little bit more athletic. Seals' arm, I've watched it so many times now. His arm is just better. He throws a better football. So they've got to decide on a quarterback. Uh, to me, this is the, like the takeaway and the conversation around Vanderbilt is is more broad, and it's the territory that you like to be in, which is I want this ex selfishly as a Nashvilleian. I want the experiment to work with Clark Lee because I want to see good football games. Mm -hmm. But I also believe in what I'm seeing in the SEC across the league. When we talk to Sam Pittman, go check out the episode on YouTube. Uh, when you when we when we discuss Mark Stoops, when we talk about when you hear from Shane Beamer later on, there is about it's about people. We talked about Josh Heupel. It is about people. It's about culture. I know there's a lot of cliches in there, but it's about relationships and communication and all this other stuff. And I think if you're going to be successful at Vanderbilt, you need investment from the people Correct. that are running things, which we are finally now seeing. Press release on Tuesday of this of, of this week saying, hey, look, there's some construction happening. We're doing things. Look, <laughs> spending money on like the, the suites at, at the stadium, which is Yay. just the first step of like many big dollar investments. Right. 
So that's number one. And number two, you need someone that like people trust and want to be around. Yeah. And I think he is that, and I think they are doing this. I, I want the experiment to work. I want it to work at Vanderbilt because I want to see more of the style of approach to college football that we're seeing in the SEC. I want to see more of it and less Jeremy Pruitt. And we've you know seen, I mean? yes, and we've seen it before in the not so distant past, which Vanderbilt had many tens of years without seeing tens a sign of hope. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, in the last, like, you know, in the last decade, um, we've seen that Vanderbilt can be a contender in the right situation. And we are a little bit, or I at least are, am a little bit spoiled from that. Cause I came into school at the right time going there. And then, um, now I'm experiencing this, which is not great, but yes, you're right about the, just investing in the program. I mean, you have to take a step. We are they're so behind that you have to take a step like a $300 million athletic campaign step to even keep up. And by the time it's complete, when you're in the SEC, you have another school coming in behind you yeah. doing another $70 million stadium renovation like Texas A&M, and then all of a sudden you're behind again. So you have to make this big leap. I hope it's enough to get guys through the door and realize the value that Vanderbilt can have from every other perspective that's not going oh and right. – 12. Uh, 21 straight losses, actually. Thank you. 0 for 21. Yes. Great way um, to start a Wednesday. So here, here's the, like, I, here, this is going to sound like an insult to Vanderbilt fans. It's not meant to be, but, but Clark Lee can use it as an advantage, okay. which is if you're not going to have this overly rabid, insane fan base like everyone else in the SEC has to deal with, hopefully that allows him time to do his job. He'll have time. Because Kentucky fans, like, this is what makes Georgia so fascinating to me is because they, you know, we talked to Seth Emerson about this. Like, Georgia's more chill than everybody else in the SEC. They're, like, willing to allow the administration to do their job. They're and more kinda... chill than everyone else in the SEC. No, of, of the teams that want to win championships. Of the high. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of, like, you compare them to Alabama, LSU, Florida, Tennessee, A&M. They are way more chill than all those programs. Yes. But, it, but, but the reason is because they kind of allow the people in charge to, like, slowly shift the program when it needs to slowly. Like, they're they're. They're driving a cruise ship, and they're willing to take, allow the time to turn the boat, right? And Kentucky fans did this very well. Kentucky fans allowed Mitch Barnhart and Mark Stoops to turn the boat slowly. And that's where Vanderbilt fans, I think because they're, they don't have as large a fan base, the student body population is not as big, they don't, like, I just, they don't have the same rabid nature. And that hopefully allows Clark Lee to, to see this thing through. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe it does. But, like... I think he's going he's to be given guy. an opportunity. That's what he wanted. He he wanted this job. He wanted this to be, yeah. you know, the the remainder of his career. He's alluded to that. And we knew from the jump it was at least hope was two years away. Min if yeah, you, minimum. If yeah, yeah if, if you were paying attention, you knew that something good was is going to take a second, like sit back and have a drink. It's going to take him a minute. So <laughs> and, then, and then you go to spring practice, you watch the offensive and defensive lines, and you need another drink. Well, because it's not pretty. Yeah. It's not so, I, I think it'll. He's going to have time. He's not going to have the insane pressure, obviously, that pr everyone else has. I mean, yep. the second, the closest thing, I guess, would be like a Missouri, and it's not even close to how much time, like, would be allowed. I would put Missouri at number number two. The second most thirteen. Second most least pressure allowing of time. <laughs> second most allowing of time. <laughs> I'm done yeah. with the checking of the bags conversation. Uh, all right, Clark Lee expectations just a win in the SEC. If you get a win, I think you've accomplished something. I think that's a victory I think for two would be great, but yeah, I'm with you. Look at their schedule. You got it right there. Elon. Check. Okay, they win that one. 
Northern Illinois? It's not easy, but they could win that one. Yeah. Well, I don't think we're predicted to win Hawaii. No, not, not Hawaii. in Hawaii. No. But so you could you two. could go out there and win. And Wake is always hard. Wake for is us. very good. And good. And they're very good. They're a top twenty team right now. They're very good. Um, okay. So that's two max. Got so it. we're gonna talk South Carolina and we're gonna talk with Shane Beamer. And we're gonna listen, we asked him. What is different about this South Carolina team today? What did he learn from year number one to year number two? We asked him about you asked him a question about what are the advantages to have never been called in, calling a play. He had a really interesting answer, I thought, to that question a good about one. like why, like because the knock on Shane Beamer has always been you know didn't call a play was never right. a coordinator. And I wasn't really knocking him. No, you weren't. And but it's what you know know what you don't know. If you're little, use it as an advantage. That kind of thing. Like what? Yeah. What senses are heightened because you. Right. Like what? What else is is of your senses are heightened having not been a head coach? A lot about communication, a lot about style, a lot about people and relationships. He's going to explain sort of his work philosophy as being a coach. Why were they able to overcome all these things? Why is Spencer Rattler going to be better in the SEC than he was in the Big Twelve? So a lot of stuff with Shane Beamer. Yeah, he's uh, great. We, we covered a lot of ground with him. We'll do our South Carolina breakdown after our conversation. So when we come back, Shane Beamer, the head coach of your South Carolina Gamecocks. Fringe Element is a podcast about the SEC, and it is brought to you by... It's brought to you by Jaspers. It's your, not necessarily my, but your favorite neighborhood tavern um, that is complete with very specialized desserts by a dessert chef that's named Megan. Okay. Um, Question. By the way, go to Jaspers. I didn't take advertising people. Go to Jaspers. What are you going to do? Go to Jaspers. Parking is free. The food is great. Go visit all the other. If you're around the SEC, go visit all the other wonderful 13 locations in a four hot four I'm going to stop you. Okay. And just defend myself here. No, no. I've I, done 90. I wasn't insulting you. No, no, no. No, you're not. I'm, But I'm judging myself. I've done 94 made up random ads for Jaspers times three. 94. Huh? Times three. What is that? Two, seven, 282. I'm good at math. 282 random ads, fresh out. I've done a few of those, by the way. I think it's more like 272, okay. but whatever. Anyway, I, here's my question. that, that you Because what I like about your creativity in these ad situations is that you spark thought. <laughs> Did I? Yes. Okay. What is the difference? And maybe we need Jaspers to get on the line here. Maybe we need Four Top Hospitality to get on the line here. Uh, or ch- jump into the comments, folks. What is the difference between mm-hmm. a tavern, a pub, a bar... Like, oh. am I missing another one? What What are the, like, is, are there actual, again, this, there may not be an answer to this. It may just be branding. I don't know. <laughs> no, this is interesting because we also had a conversation earlier about certain words that were bad, but not as bad in other cultures or languages, like in Britain, for example. Oh, um, you're going to go, you're going to say the words. No, I think you should, you've already said it. You, you've taken us down this path. Go ahead. Well, okay. Go ahead. Here's the thing. I hate this for Jaspers, but it is what it is. Go to Jaspers, everybody. We had a conversation earlier about the word twat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which is an I'm effective word it. in many scenarios. It's important. It's an important part of the English language. Ugh. I, unfortunately, for my parents and anyone that, you know, Find I would like to, to be very me, important. I do use that word. What, in what context? Like insulting people? Because I would teach my daughters it doesn't matter what word you use. I just wanted to know what tavern meant, and now here we are. Well, here's um, the thing, but it's like there's some British, and Camille brought this up, who's our intern again. Wanker. How about wanker? It's so a good those, one. yeah. So there's there's things that maybe in Britain or certain places aren't as bad as they are here. Yeah. And did we decide twat was one of those? I, uh, listen, 
you you can keep saying it on the show if you'd like, and we'll see if the checks come keep coming in. But I I don't have a problem with any words, so I'm not really offended by much of anything. Um, I think it's a great you great word when an English person uses it the way it's supposed to be used. Okay. I think I think it's yeah. like wanker. I think it's great. I think it's funny. I think it's creative. It's different. I and cult- maybe not m- me as much, but yeah. Okay. Well, like if I said it to someone on mm-hmm. like anywhere, <laughs> right? I don't think it would go over the same way as you saying it, or if I had a British accent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is unfair because America's the best. Right. And so like America individualism. I feel like these are connected, but like pub, for example, like are we leaving out because isn't pub just like the British word for a bar? I don't that's or Irish. These are the important questions I was asking. What what is the difference? Neil says no. Hold on one second. Pub Irish and No, we tavern. need to get you a mic. Irish. <laughs> what's the difference? what's the difference? Um, kids can go into pubs. K- kids are allowed kids into pubs. Pub? Kids are allowed in pubs. Well, I know a lot of bars that my kids go into. Is that bad? Okay, so no, so here, so there's no pub fare. You can't eat at a pub. You, you can't. Oh, you can't eat at a pub. Well, I think where do you get fish and chips? See, no free shouts because we're talking about Jasper's here, but I think there are a few pubs in the city that have food. Yeah, but they're not like pub pubs. I think one they're of them actually like the has Gulch's. it in their name. Don't don't use names. No free shouts. Okay. Go to Jasper's. Um, this is a very difficult conversation to have when you're sponsored by a local neighborhood watering hole. Which right. is, what's the difference in a watering hole? It's pub? also a restaurant. It's also a very nice no, restaurant. it's not a pub. With better food. Right. Than most any pub or tavern. According to Camille. I hope she's right. Well, um, go to Jasper's or any of the other 13 locations across the Southeast. Don't be a twat. hospitality <laughs> and don't be a wanker. <laughs> Get us out of this ad, please. Jane, thank you so much for joining us here. We do really appreciate it. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Appreciate you guys having me on. Hope you're doing well also. So l- let's start with this stage of this season versus the stage of last season, which is you, you come in and, and all the talking points are your, your career and sort of your, you know, your background and the roles you've had. Well, you get here, you guys get to six wins in the regular season. What is different? What did you learn through that first year of being that role that you are now executing today that was different maybe this time last year? No, great question. I think a couple things. One, you know, you know your team better. Now, obviously, we've got some new faces that have come in since last season, but the returning players, you understand them and and you have better relationships with them. And then they 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 know you better, you know, as the head coach also. So that's different. And, and I think the biggest thing for me is just you, you have a better idea of, of what's coming and how to handle it. You know, everything that we did last year, was the very first time, the first spring practice, the first summer workouts, the first preseason camp, the first win, the first loss, first bowl game, you name it. Now it's, we've done everything one time. So it's the second time through. Uh, And so you're able to, for me, look back at things you did last year, maybe from a practice organization, practice schedule that you liked, didn't like being able to look back at notes from last year and and tweak things for this year as you continue to evolve and get right. better. So that's the biggest thing for me. How would you describe your sort of like, I guess organizational psychology might be the right way you could, you know, culture is another one that people use, identity, leadership, whatever. But like, what, what is it that when you talk to recruits, when you talk to your team, when you talk to boosters, like, what is it that you're trying to portray as sort of the, the identity of, of who you guys are at South Carolina? Yeah, you know, I mean, we have a... Uh, 
a mindset that we want to play with. And we talk to our players about being, you know, the, the most competitive team in the country, the toughest and, and hardest working, but also the closest. And, you know, I think that uh, portrays itself very accurately when people want, want to hope watch us play and they see the physicality and the effort that we play with, but the closest of the team, is, uh, is something that we really, you know, are very intentional about. And we've had so many recruits that have been on campus this month, and we just had 13 young men and their families here on official visits last weekend. And so many of those families, you know, came in and, and when I met with them, they commented just on our players and our current team and how close they are and what great young men they are and things like that. So, you know, that the close and connected football team. And then, you know, the, the, the things that, you know, I'm sure all coaches want to portray on the field as well. You know, guys like us, we all have opinions. That's our job. Like men and women like us, Aaron and I are here to blather all summer long and make predictions. And so that's part of the job. And certainly you guys hit the over last year with, with the way you guys performed on the field. And it, first of all, was there any secret sauce to why that, that took place and why you were able to, to maximize your roster, but also how do you use it to kind of build momentum? Because every year feels like a new year with roster management and the things you guys have to do. How do you actually take that and use it in terms of development momentum for your team moving forward? Yeah. Going back to last season, uh, I think it goes back to what you just asked. We were a really, really close and connected team that cared for one another and believed in one another and, and um, it, it was an awesome group to be around. And, and I'm proud of the, as the head coach of the fact that, you know, we started out two and oh, then we lost two in a row. We were two and two. Uh, and but after that point, we never lost more than one game in a row. Now, we never won more than two games in a row, so we got to be more consistent. But we never let a loss, you know, defeat us where we lost the next week. Also, we always came back. And yeah. and, you know, I think we. We uh, outscored, I think, all of our opponents, but one in the fourth quarter. So we were a group that competed from start to finish, which I love. So I think the fact that when we competed like we did and we were super close allowed us to have the success that we had. And then going forward, I mean, you're exactly right. Every year is every year is different, but they're, you know, winning three or five at the end of the season, beating Florida and Auburn, beating North Carolina in the bowl game has given this, this program already had a lot of uh, new energy at the end of last season, but then winning that bowl game has given us even more as we go into to this year. And, and certainly we've lost a lot of pieces. We've, we've added some pieces for sure, but uh, you know, we've really tried to convey to our guys that, you know, nobody's sitting around patting each other on the back that we got a lot of work to do and, and all the work that went into winning seven games last year, it's going to take even more to take the next step and go from seven to, to the next level. Coach, how do you, you've had to deal with obviously your fair share of doubters just from not having that direct head coaching experience, but did that in some ways heighten other senses for you? Um, just were you able to see things that you think coaches with a lot of head coaching experience weren't able to see? What did that give you instead of like thinking about what it took, what was had taken away? Yeah. Um, you know, I always as an assistant coach and I was an assistant coach for 21 years, I guess, before I got this head coaching job. And, and uh, I hadn't been a head coach before, but I felt like all the different roles that I had in my career had prepared me to be a head coach better 
uh, when I got that opportunity. I had been a recruiting coordinator and I had coached offense and defense. I had been a special teams coordinator. I'd been an associate head coach. I'd been an interim head coach for a game. You know, so I had a lot of experiences that helped me. And then once, uh, and I was always preparing to become a head coach, hopefully during my career as an assistant coach. So, you know, I think when I, when I became a head coach here, no, I didn't have that experience and you're never prepared. So whether I had been the head coach at, at uh, a small, small, small school or whether I'm a head coach in the SEC, you're never totally prepared for that role. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. There's just so many things that come at you that even growing up the son of a coach, and seeing that myself, a lot of things that you didn't, that I didn't even realize, you know, being, being the son of a head coach all these years. Um, but I felt as prepared as I could have been because of the roles that I had. And then, you know, you learn as you go, but um, I'm glad I took the route that I did. I mean, I think there's a, a, a narrative out there sometimes that, that you have to be a offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator to become a head coach. And I think that's ridiculous. I mean, I've been, uh, I, there's a lot of guys that can, that I've been around that are fantastic offensive coordinators can call plays with the best of them, but it doesn't mean they're going to be a great head coach because when you're in the head coaching chair, there's just so many different things that you have to deal with that have nothing to do with X's and O's and calling <laughs> plays. So, you know, it, it worked for me and, or it has worked for me to get me this opportunity. And I felt prepared as I could be because of it. Yeah, it seems to be working. Yeah. <laughs> Hope so. Team. so. Some would say it's not, but we'll see. <laughs> well, no, your, your team psychologist, your fundraiser, your, you know, like it's all this other stuff that you have to be as a, as a head coach. And, and I, I'm curious because, and I'm not going to mention the other guy in the state, but that was his plan when he set, set forth <laughs> for his university. Mark Stoops at Kentucky did the same thing with Mitch Barnhart when he sat down and got the job. We yeah. see, I think, and I think Sam Pittman's doing this at Arkansas. Like there's this sort of new wave of like, we're just going to hire ball coaches that know how to manage a bunch of people mm -hmm. and do it really well. And I think that's different than the way college football was operating, let's say for the last 10 years or so. What, what is it? South Carolina has all the fan support, all the resources, the recruiting base geographically is wonderful. What, what is it that South Carolina needs to sort of put it all together? Like what's the glue that it needs? Yeah, I think we just got to continue to bring in great players and, and, and great people to this program. I mean, I've, uh, I feel like we have all the resources that we need to be successful. We've won national championships here in women's basketball a couple, multiple times and baseball and, and other sports as well. So we've got a fantastic university. We've got great academics. Columbia is an awesome place to live. South Carolina is a great state to live in. Uh, amazing football facility that our players train in each and every day. We play in the best conference in America. So, I mean, there's so many things. And we just got to continue to uh, bring in great people into this program, great players. And, and I was here at a time with Steve Spurrier where we had some great players like Stephon Gilmore and Melvin Ingram and Alshon Jeffrey and Javion Clowney and Marcus Lattimore and Connor Shaw and on and on and on and on and on, <laughs> on, you know? And so, and we were pretty successful when we brought those guys in. And, and you know, my last year here was 2010. And in that season, we beat Clemson, Georgia, Florida, Alabama when they were number one in the country and Tennessee all in the same season. Uh, so we've had some really great years around here. We've just got to do a better job of sustaining it. And, you know, to get back to that level, it's just going to be one day. I know it's cliche, but one day at a time and just continuing to bring great people into this program because we have the resources that we need to be successful. I tell recruits all the time that I wanted to hire. I wanted to when I got hired, I wanted to create a program that 
checked all the boxes for what a student athlete was looking for when he made his college decision. And, and I feel like I have here at Carolina that we have. And uh, now we just got to keep, keep moving forward. We know you're a relationship guy. That's pretty apparent. And you've talked a lot about this. And you now have guys that are coming from schools that you coached at before from Oklahoma coming to play for you again. And I know you're a coach and you have to be that. But how far beyond coaching does your relationship go with your guys? Um, whatever uh, the word is for like endless, you know, infinite or something. I mean, it's, that's what it is. And, and that's one of the things, Aaron, when I was when I was an assistant coach, I'm just I've always going back to that question about preparing to be a head coach. Like I was a special teams coordinator. So when you're a special teams coordinator, you have to have a relationship with every player on the team because nobody's no five star recruit is coming to the SEC school that he chooses to be the right guard on the punt team, you know? So you've got to develop relationships <laughs> with these guys to make them want to go play special teams and things like that. So that gave me great experience. And, you know, I'm a people person. I do love building relationships with people. Um, and now as a, I did it as an assistant coach and now as a head coach, I love it because I get to do that with 119 players that we have on our football team. And, and I'll, it's getting to know them, but I, I love the fact that my office door is always open and that players come in here and feel and feel comfortable talking to me. It may be something something casual. They just want to come in here and watch, you know, TV and hang out. Uh, or in my year and a half here, we've had some really deep conversations with kids about, you know, struggles. And, and at the end of the day, they're yes, they're big time college football players, but they're still 18, 19, 20 year old young men that are dealing with the same things that any 18, 19, 20 year old is, uh, whether it be girlfriends or, or family issues back home or mental health or whatever it may be. And, and I love that aspect of it. And, and it goes, you know, it's, it's beyond just when they're here. I mean, it's being invested in them when they're out in this building, obviously, but when they're outside this building as well. So it's uh can't put a figure on it and, and it's endless, but I love every second of it. I, I'm sure you plan this your entire career to take over as a head coach for the first time following a worldwide pandemic and entering the most chaotic period of rules in NCAA history. Uh, but it does feel like what you're just saying, Shane, is what it comes down to, whether it's the portal, whether it's name, image, and likeness, whether, you know, pick a subject that is sort of causing chaos in our sport today it does feel like it It just comes back to like being a person with a good relationship with another person. And if that's the case, like, isn't that the thing that's going to sort of propel success through all of the chaos, whether it's expansion or NIL or, you know, a salary cap, whatever the hell the future looks like. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and that's what it gets down to. Like um, my dad used to say when he was coaching, he would tell his coaches all the time, work every day, for the crisis, meaning like there's going to be something when the stuff hits the fan. And if you wait until that day to try and uh, handle it, you're too far behind. Like the work you put in, the relationships that you develop allow you to sustain, sustain stuff when when adversity comes and, and crazy stuff comes. And, and we, you know, we were able to show that if we weren't as close and connected to a football team last season, I don't think we overcome the adversity that we dealt with, with injuries and playing three, four different quarterbacks and all that as well. But you're right, especially now in today's time and with the transfer portal and all that, it gets down to relationships because we want to, we want to have a program here at Carolina that um, 
players don't want to leave. Now, does that mean everything's fun and hunky dory all the time? No, it's, well, I mean, we're, we work on really, 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 really hard and we hold them accountable and we're very demanding, but our players know that we care about them and we love them. And, you know, I've yet to have, not going more, but I've yet to have any player on our team come into my office and tell me that he's transferring because he's unhappy. Now we've had some guys transfer for, you know, they just weren't, we were very honest with them and had conversations with them about their playing time and their roles and that we didn't want them going anywhere, but if they wanted to play a little bit more, then they may need to, you know, explore some other places. And, and I don't want to lose anybody, but uh, that's why guys have left our program, not because this is a bad place that they're unhappy at. Right. And, and I don't think every school can say that. Coach, so you've already pretty successfully changed the culture, and I'm sure you have more that you want to do. But from an outside perspective, that's happened pretty quickly, mm -hmm. and you already exceeded expectations, maybe not for you, but for what a lot of people had for you guys in your first year. How do you plan on taking all this off-season success, like um, taking getting Spencer Rattler, like not only just transfers in the transfer portal, but all the work you've done, and then turning that into actually being a true standing SEC East contender? Yeah, um, it's it's a challenge because, you know, we, we play in the toughest conference in America. So, yes, we did have some success last season, but um, nobody in this league is slowing down and they're only continuing to get better and stronger uh, as well. So understanding that and, and conveying to our guys that that we, we, we won seven and there's a lot of work that went into that and we got to you know, we got to be even better. We got to be more consistent. I mean, there's so many things that we look back at last season that we did well, but there's a lot of things that we looked at that we, that we didn't do well and, and trying to improve those uh, to help us have better success on the field. And we certainly want to uh, embrace the excitement about the program right now because it certainly felt, you know, nationwide. It's felt in recruiting. Uh, so we don't want to run, you know, from that and all we did, but also understanding that, 2021 is over, and this is a whole new team that has its own set of challenges that has to come together, you know, pretty quick because, you know, to open the season, we don't, we're not tiptoeing into anything. So we've got to, we've got to uh, really come together. And, you know, everything that I've seen in the weight room and things like that has gone, uh, you know, it shows me that our players have understand that and, and uh, have embraced that. I know you got to run, so I'll let you uh, real quickly here on Spencer Rattler. We know all the physical tools. He's dripping with talent. We've seen the play. He struggled last year. What what about him mentally that people don't know will allow him to flourish in a, an even tougher conference that you just mentioned? I think he's a – I go back to Spencer at Oklahoma. He dealt with adversity. And, you know, people think, well, he didn't have the 2021 year that he wanted and got benched and all that. No. I remember 2020 where – Oklahoma's last three quarterbacks before Spencer were Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts. And then here comes his hot shot freshman quarterback, Spencer Rattler. And what does he do? He proceeds to lose his first – we lose our first two Big 12 conference games. We lose the Kansas State at home. And we go on the road and we lose at Iowa State with Spencer as our starting quarterback. You guys know from covering college football, like, Oklahoma doesn't start out 0-2 in the Big 12. That just doesn't happen. Nope. So there was a lot of pressure and adversity he dealt with then. And then we go to Texas, play Texas down in the Cotton Bowl in, in, in October. And Lincoln, Coach Riley, he actually benches Spencer in the first half of that game, puts him back in there in the second half. We go on and win that game, I think, in four overtimes. 
Oklahoma doesn't lose a game the rest of the year. We end up winning the Big 12 championship We against Iowa State. We win the Cotton Bowl against Florida. Now, at that time, I'm already here because I got hired in between at Carolina. But I just saw how Spencer dealt with adversity then, didn't let it affect him, and what he did after that. And then whatever happened at Oklahoma last season, I don't know, but I just know the Spencer that, that I was around. He's the kind of guy you want leading your team, and he's a great young man. He's a smart player um that has really worked hard since he got here in, in January to to become a member of this team and, and I think he's taken a step from a leadership standpoint this summer as well and excited to, to see what he's going to do this year for us well congrats on this all the success in year one obviously a lot of work to do we really appreciate your time for being so gracious thank you sir we appreciate it no I appreciate you guys keep up the great work That was Shane Beamer, South Carolina head football coach. Year number two, over-exceeded every expectation in year number one. Six and six, they get to a bowl game, of course. Uh, seven starters back on offense, seven starters back on defense. Spencer Rattler returning. I thought one of the phrases he used there was interesting. He said, "Work every." He said his father taught him this, of course, great Frank Beamer. Uh, work every day for the crisis, which is just you know, planning for the worst possible scenario, which I think is pretty normal in leadership roles. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was interesting. And then your question about, like, what advantages did he have by not having experience, which is a weird question, but I think it's an important one. And when he, and we'll get into what our expectations are for South Carolina here in this, in this process. But I just wanted to point out, like, I think he, he kind of said there's no real path to get from point A to point B to become a head coach. I'm glad I did what I did and how I got there. I do see the value of... Touching every part of the game. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. And like, if you're in the weeds, if you're in the weeds play caller, right? Like yeah. you're just a nerdy X's and O's offensive or defensive guru. And like, all you do is like scheme stuff all night. Like you're like Spurrier, right? Mm -hmm. You didn't want to recruit. Does that prepare you to run a modern 2022 college football SEC program? Because it, to me, they're two wildly different skill sets, yeah. right? And I think Shane Beamer has a lot of skills that allow him to be a great CEO and recruiter. We he doesn't need, he just skipped over the part where he needed to call plays. I mean, it's <laughs> like, rare. It's like, a, it's like a mad scientist trying to be president. Just doesn't, maybe president is a great example. No. But yeah, but it's like, <laughs> you get it. No, it's there's like, certain skills that like. You don't have to be both. Yeah, the guy flying the plane doesn't need to be the general of the army. Exactly. Or Navy. Well, Navy. You that know almost what I mean? works. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. But you don't have to, and he, I think he realizes, and he is, again, such a relationship guy. In fact, my favorite part of that whole interview was when you know, well, not because of my question, just his answer. Your, it was, was your question. It was like, how far do your does your relationship extend with your players beyond just being a coach? And he said, infinitely. Yeah, right. As far as it needs to go, I can be whatever. And I think that definitely applies to everybody that he has around him, which is he respects the role that he plays and he wildly respects the staff that he has around him. And he's able to like let go just a little bit yep. more. So my my... My number one question for South Carolina going into year number two, I, I have said this on this show and many other places, I, I don't know how real the 6-6 six and six was. They, they got, I don't want to say lucky because you always have to be a little lucky in football no matter what. Like No matter if you're great or terrible, you need to be lucky to win. My question is, clearly there was adversity there, right? Like He talked about Spencer Rattler's adversity at Oklahoma yep. and he knows the kind of player he was. They dealt with some adversity last year with the quarterback situation and the lack of depth and a first-year coach and blah, 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 blah. My question is, all that connected tissue he's talking about, the closeness, the stickiness of the locker room and the, and the culture and all that stuff, how sustainable is that long-term? Or did they just catch it 
and it just like fixed a bunch of problems right away. Like the same question with Josh Heupel, right? Like you mean the the like locker room culture, like the like team how, culture of the team? Yeah, how long can that sustain you to success without like Josh Heupel? The foundation is great, the stickiness is good. How how long? How far can that take you before you have to have better players and have a better quarterback and have a better defensive line and have a better coordinator and just to like compete at a higher level? Is that, See, I that think it sense? can keep moving with you the whole time. I don't think there's really like a diminishing marginal returns on that because it's the no, I don't think so either. But you have to also add in the other ingredients. You do have to, so. but also it allows you. It, it also like even just the trust factor of like you know amongst the defensive line or amongst the offensive line like. Trust grants you flexibility in a game to be able to push a little bit outside of yourself schematically. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I, so I think it can still – I know what you're saying. At some point you have yeah. to have better players. But also if if you bring a recruit on a visit and these guys are literal I, I, brothers and obsessed and, with each other, it does help. And he was a phenomenal recruiter at South Carolina. That's why they hired him. Um, and I, asked, I thought his answer was interesting – when I said what's missing, because we've talked about this with Josh Kendall in a previous episode about why South Carolina can't figure it out. Like, mm -hmm. why can't they figure it out? They've got a line, or they're lacking alignment, right? From the, from the state legislative office down to the booster and through the coach, excuse me, they don't have alignment. They haven't gotten the name, image, and likeness thing figured out. Um, they've got all the resources the and money. One. Right. And, and they, but they've got all, like, they are 90,000 strong at their games. Yeah. They're for on nothing. paper. Yeah, no, I know. Why? And, like, why isn't it working? You've got the resources. You've got the geography. Why isn't it working? And I asked him, and he said, we just got to bring in better players. Like, that's what he said. He's like, we got to keep adding better players. And I know it sounds like a cliche answer for Tennessee, Josh Heupel, and Shane Beamer here. It's going to happen. Billy Napier is going to face the same thing at Florida. What Clark Lee's dealing with this. Like, at, at some point, all that culture is great. you you got to turn it into talent. And South Carolina is even weirder, though, because they've had all this stuff forever, and they haven't ever figured it out. Like, they've yeah. been to Atlanta one time, so... It um, is like a wonder of the world, but I, I love all the all these these ball coaches that are hired, Stoops and Pittman and and Beamer. I, I want to Heupel's the same way. They're just ball coaches. They're just guys that build community. What what what's the upside for all those guys? They're all good right now, and they all overachieved right away, right? Mm -hmm. Stoops is the only one that's done it long term. Yeah. So we got to. I'm just. And he's gonna keep. Hopefully, he'll keep his staff around, and then. You know, they'll have players stick it out the full three, four years, yep. have guys, you know, back on the NFL level, and then it'll just repeat itself, hopefully. All right. At least any, they finish the season. Any, anything else? Uh, I, I mean, I listen, if they get to a bowl game again, I think South Carolina fans should be ecstatic. For sure. And I, the thing is, that's the difference about South Carolina and Tennessee. I think South Carolina will appreciate it more. 100%. Yes. I, I, there's, I, don't, I think they should. They had longer yeah. – they had a further – they had crazy to think about that since Pruitt was so bad at Tennessee, but they might have had further to go. Also, Josh Heupel was an established head coach. He'd been a head coach for three or four years at Central Florida. He comes in with a lot of experience in that role. Shane Beamer has to learn on the fly to some degree how to be a head coach for the first time. So mm -hmm. there's a lot, like there's just a lot of moving parts at South Carolina. I find it to be one of the most interesting programs in all of college football. Like yeah. you're in state with Clemson, you're in the same division as Georgia and Florida and Tennessee, but you got elite recruits within every in every direction. Mm -hmm. You have eighty nine thousand hanging out with those trains outside the stadium, like just killer environment. It's now, fun. It's one of my favorite game awesome. day experiences yeah. in the SEC. Now, hands down, we can have a talk about what you're doing to your smoked meats, okay? And I'm not going to tell you what Shane Beamer Brain told gets me. Real heated about certain kinds. I'm not going to tell you about what Shane Beamer told me off the air, okay? I'm not going to tell you what he said. What the fuck are you doing with mustard down there, South Carolina? Okay. Shots enough, fired. Enough with the mustard. 
All right, leave the smoked meats alone. Okay, um, that's about that. About does it for us on the show today. Uh, special thanks to Shane Beamer for joining us and hanging out. Yeah, he was great. Make sure you go to where and subscribe to what. Um, YouTube, subscribe to the 440 YouTube channel. It will not blow up your inbox or anything like that. It'll just show you when we put out videos, and we work hard on them. So, and they don't. It's it, yeah, it won't blow you up. It's like a couple times a week, maybe. Yeah, a couple times a week, you'll get some good content. No empty calories. Nutritional content only. Yeah. At the 440 Sports YouTube page. So check that out. For gentlemen, is brought to you by Jaspers. You got it this time. Go ahead. Jaspers. The next evolution of the sports bar with free parking. The greatest food ever invented in the history of mankind. There it is. 13 locations across the Southeast. Amerigo, Alabama, Mississippi, Memphis, Tennessee. Yep. All across the Southeast. That's all across the Southeast, right? Yeah. That counts. Lots in Nashville, but all over the place too. Flowood, Ridgeland, Huntsville, Birmingham, Memphis, you name it. They're there, so go check them out. Go to Jasper's. Aaron, where can people follow you? Um, Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram and the Aaron event. Dugan on Twitter. Um, and you can yep, that's follow right. the cast collect- well, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you want to rent studio or event venue space in Nashville, podcasting, um, small events, we can do speaker series, we can do bridal showers. Speaker series? Yeah, like small speaker series events. You could do a small rehearsal dinner here. What would you be a speaker on if you were going to be a speaker in your own series? Um, toxic masculinity. <laughs> Do you have any more questions? No, no, I do not. Hashtag girl dad. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall at 440 Sports. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show. Go to the Twitter account. Go to the YouTube page. All that great stuff. Special thanks, of course, to Jaspers and to Shane Beamer. For Aaron Dugan, my name is Braden Gall. Thank you guys for listening and watching. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Peace.